What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is the world's first cryptocurrency, and it works because of the world's first public blockchain network. What does Bitcoin do? It's simple. It lets you send and receive value to and from anyone in the world using nothing more than a computer and an internet connection. Now, why is it revolutionary? Because unlike every other tool for sending money over the internet, it works without the need to trust a middleman. The lack of any corporation in between means that Bitcoin is the world's first public digital payments infrastructure. And by public, I simply mean available to all and not owned by any single entity. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be covering a bunch of Bitcoin news. Uh, We're also going to be covering some infrastructure updates from China, uh, Iran and Syria. We're also going to check in with VR gaming and see what's going on in the latest in the virtual reality world. And a few updates from our saviour, Elon Musk. Praise be. (laughs) And we've also got a really cool security tool for your two-factor authentication needs. Which could replace, if I'm correct, your Google Authenticator. Yes. So hang tight for that one. So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Well, we've just had a couple of – we've had a few holidays just recently. Mm. So we Mm. had Easter – We've had another Australia-specific holiday, Australia-New Zealand-specific holiday. So, yeah, just been really short weeks. So I did some things with family and, uh, yeah, just, I don't know, mate. I'm trying to think of what else I have been up to. You had a whiskey night. We did day. have a whiskey night the other night. Got so a bunch of the boys from where we used to work. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you that don't know, Joe and I quite enjoy a drop or two of single malt whiskey. In fact, drinking some right now. Drink responsibly. But, yeah, we had that. That was great. That was mm, really fun. Mm, mm. They're good nights because we essentially get a bunch of people who like whiskey just like us together and we get to sample a whole bunch of whiskeys that we wouldn't Because everyone get. brings a bottle down, somebody hosts it, and then we have a couple of whiskeys and talk life. That's right. It's great. Wonderful. Yeah. What have you been up to? I have been, uh, well, also to that whiskey night. Um, <laughs> I've, yeah, the last few weeks have just flown, man. Like just been working, traveling. It's been good. It's been good. You recently set up a bit of a... You've got like a joystick and... Yeah, I've been doing a fair amount of computer gaming, actually. I recently upgraded my computer to a super fast computer, which is way quicker than my old one. So I have been making up for lost time in both Star Citizen and mm. the Battlefield series. So shooting up people online where it's legal. Mm. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> where there are any but red not flags. not the illegal places to shoot people up. <laughs> anyway... Bit of disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. Yeah, we're not saying you should buy anything at all. And full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on the show. So, But if we talk about any type of investment product or 
anything else really. It doesn't mean you should buy it or uh, mortgage your house to obtain it. Yes. Yeah, so do your own research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose and avoid the fear of missing out. So this episode, we have something really exciting, don't we, Joe? Yes, we have a giveaway. We are giving away a coin storage guru safe keys. Is it called safe keys? Safe words. Safe words. Safe words pack. So this has been developed by Brendan Lee, who's a friend of the FOMO show. Um, He's developed the Safe Words Kit, and that's what we're going to give away this episode. So essentially, the Safe Words Kit gives you a set of three cards, and on each of these three cards, you write down two-thirds of your seed phrase for your – that's the backup phrase, isn't it? Yeah, the backup phrase to restore your private key, essentially, to be be able to, to get back into your account later on if you lose anything excellent so it's a good way of backing up your funds and if you have a fair amount of funds then you don't want to lose them and it's quite ingenious so you essentially only need two of the three cards so you put these onto the three cards any two of them will restore your account for you so you can keep one for yourself you can put another one with someone you really trust and maybe give a third to your lawyer and have them put it in safe custody or whatever and no one person will be able to access your account with just one of these. So mm. you need at least two. Mm. So even if you're giving them to other people with just that by themselves, they're not going to be able to get into your account. Mm. So it's a really ingenious little way to protect your valuable account. Mm. If you mm. do keep a significant amount of crypto in one account, then uh, yeah, great little tool. And if I'm correctly informed, Brendan has actually patented this, and I think he has the worldwide patent to it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So we are giving away one of these safe word kits to a listener who can find out using the previous episode skills of open source intelligence. Matt and Joe's, that's me. If you find out our full names, tell us what they are via a private message, if possible, and um, the first person to get it successfully will win a safe words kit. And by full names, we mean first, middle, and last name. Oh, no one's going to win that. Well. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, you can still tell us just the first two, but if someone can tell us all three, they get the prize. I'd be very impressed. Yeah. So, yeah, please use open source intelligence responsibly. But, yeah, if you can find that out, then we will send you a safe words kit. Yeah. Thanks to Brendan Lee at Coin Storage Guru. Yeah, you got to work. You can't just do a Google search and yeah. they're like, easy. If you're new around here and new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. It will give you a good grounding in some of the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about when we talk about blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. Yeah, and look, there are a bunch of other episodes that we have done features on various cryptocurrencies and different types and that kind of stuff. So once you've listened to them, definitely feel free to go and listen to some of the other back catalog episodes. I think episode nine, we discussed privacy coins. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was really fun. One when we discussed Ethereum, that was really cool. Yep. Yep. Maybe that was episode Three, four, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah. Around yeah. And there's and we discuss all sorts of different consensus algorithms. Some are in the teens and there's there's other episodes out there where we do that kind of stuff. So mm. yeah, if it is something you're interested in, definitely there's a lot of information lurking in the background in some of those earlier episodes. Let's jump into some of the news. So I'm gonna start with the first bit of news. It's not really a bit of news, it's more of just a side comment. At some point in June 2018, Bitcoin.org, which is the original Bitcoin's website, 
they actually redesigned it. Now, I remember when I first came across Bitcoin, they had this average looking old site. <laughs> But this is almost a year ago now, but it looks really cool. So they've actually designed it really well, explained what Bitcoin is. Is it a good little video on mm. there? It's it's a really good looking site. It's nice and clean. There's a lot of documentation up there. I think they use the same font as we use on our website. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> they stole it from us. Good taste. Mm. Yeah, and there's really good like get started with Bitcoin stuff. Inform yourself of how to use it. Then it's sort of like how to accept Bitcoin if you're a merchant, which is really useful. Mm. So how to accept payments and add it into your website. There's a whole thing on wallets as well, which is really good, picking a wallet. So, I mean, it's not news, but it's good to see they're making it easier for people to get on board. Yeah, because you're right. When we first got into Bitcoin back in the day, the site, I know you went to it and you were like, really, this is the Bitcoin site? But I guess because Bitcoin.org is kind of run by the community and everyone else is doing other things. And a lot of people are in other companies. It really is just a community project from a bunch of different Bitcoin people. So it's just, it's really nice to see that it's all come along and it's looking good. So well done, Bitcoin.org. Hmm. So next bit of news, Forbes has released a list of billion-dollar companies using blockchain. So, yeah, we found this one via Cointelegraph, and we'll put the link to the Forbes website. So, yeah, the list has got companies in the crypto and blockchain development space. Um, there's some traditional firms out there, banks, clearinghouses, food companies, supply chain management firms. You hear critics quite frequently say blockchain is not being used anywhere. Yeah. And this list would beg to differ. I mean, you've got Amazon, Walmart, Facebook, Allianz has been testing blockchain for a variety of things on flight delay insurance. Amazon run a um, bunch of services for distributed ledger technology. Anheuser Bush InBev, the drinks company using mm. it, and Financial, a massive Chinese financial firm. BBVA, Spain's second largest bank. Bitfury, French bank, BNP Paribas. Yeah, BP, Citigroup. They're developing all sorts of stuff there. An interesting one that stands out is the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, which they're a warehouse of sorts that provide custody, clearing, and settlement for $1.85 quadrillion in transactions per year. So they're planning to move their $10 trillion a year credits derivatives tracking operations to a customized blockchain. Yeah, so if the new system, which is scheduled to launch by the end of the year, is successful, it could eliminate massive record redundancies and prove that centralized middlemen have a place in a decentralized ledger world, at least according to them. But $10 trillion a year in credit, I mean, that is a massive system. That is something that is very, very, very valuable. So for them to be saying this is kind of beginning to show that this form of database, which we call blockchain, which Bitcoin uses and a number of other cryptos uses, is finding some really good uses mm. in other places. Mm. Maybe not in the way that we really thought it would in a lot of cases, but then you look at companies like Walmart and Nestle yeah, and yeah. Unilever and, mm. and what they're doing with IBM with their food trust. Mm. And that is being used in a way that a lot of people said this would probably be used and that's to have a blockchain-based system for supply chain mm, mm. Um, and tracking goods through the supply chain from a time they enter the, a ledger somewhere, which is generally when a truck driver first puts it in his ledger or a farmer, mm -hmm. all the way to the store. They're putting that all on one big unified distributed database. I guess that's, that's where we get to the discussion, isn't it? Is this, are we talking about blockchain in the sense that we've talked about blockchain for the entirety of this podcast pretty much, or are we talk, now starting to begin to talk more about distributed ledgers mm. that may use some form of 
time-based hashing or putting blocks in systems or because that's what it's kind of, you look at a lot of the hyperledger stuff especially it's, it's moving further and further away from just a chain of blocks and becoming more robust in the way that it implements a lot of this stuff oh, that was me thinking it was all cut and dry well you know like some people say that if it's not completely decentralized right then it's not a block it's chain, not a blockchain but, but yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah. but really it i think it's kind of the opposite it's that the decentralized stuff which has money uses blockchain as one leg to stand on yeah yeah so yeah forbes 50 blockchain thingamajigs pretty cool One of the world's largest travel companies is now accepting Bitcoin. So Corporate Traveller, uh, which is a division of Flight Center Travel Group, which is one of the largest travel companies in the world, and it's actually headquartered in, it might even be Brisbane where the headquarters are. Yeah, right. They've begun accepting payments using cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Yeah, so the company secured a strategic partnership with BitPay, which is a big blockchain payment processor used in a lot of different areas to accept Bitcoin and cryptocurrency payments for bookings on their platform. Mm. Which is kind of in line with another Brisbane company, Travel by Bit. Mm, mm. They're doing something really similar. So lots of crypto payments for holidays going on here in Australia for some reason. Suspicious. <laughs> Next bit of news, Moon has enabled Lightning Network payments on Amazon. So they announced this web browser extension that allows crypto users to make purchases on sites like Amazon.com with Lightning Network payments. And this is really cool. So once the extension has been added to the browser, you'll be prompted to register and integrate it with a Lightning Enable wallet. Well... Amazon don't currently accept Bitcoin. What happens is when you get to that checkout process, you make the payment to via Moon. They settle with Amazon. And yeah, so they just give you a QR code at checkout. You pay your Bitcoins to that. And then, um, yeah, happy days. You'll get to the Amazon success page. It's kind of like a PayPal, but for crypto. Yeah, it's quite impressive. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's great. Like if Amazon isn't going to support it, I think this is the next best thing, having a third party that's basically prepared to say, well, We'll take it and then we'll sort it out with Amazon. Mm. Guess you've got to trust that Moon are going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. But if they're integrated with Amazon and Amazon are happy to hold them accountable to take the payments, what have you got to worry about? So that's really cool. And I guess we will have to watch where else Moon can start making payments. I mean, if they've got Amazon, Mm. probably a bunch of other companies that are going to start to take notice. And I I haven't tried this out yet, but I want to try this out as soon as I can to see whether I I can make this work because it's it's great. Next up, Bitcoin is already outperforming NASDAQ, the S&P 500 and gold in 2019. And this is in like a relative, what we still would probably call a relatively poor year for Bitcoin, but it's quietly up 40% so far in 2019 from where it was at the start of the year. And the NASDAQ uh, 100, uh, on the other hand, um, so that tracks Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and a bunch of other companies, it's only up by about 22%, which is still pretty, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. good. So, I mean, the stock market seems to be doing all right this year. But, mm. yeah, if Bitcoin's doing even better than that, the S&P 500, which is one of the most popular indexes on the market, yeah, they're up about 17% since the start of the year. So mm. it's generally been a surprisingly good year. So imagine you'd bought an S&P 500 index in January mm. and you're now here and if you put in 1,000 in, you got 1,170 back if you'd put mm. it in the S&P. That's pretty good. Yeah. When most... Super funds and things like that are saying, oh, we're getting 8% as if that's a really good return and S&P index funds getting 17%. That's that's pretty good. And but so- Somehow you only get paid 2.75% yeah. by your bank. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> I Keep wonder saving your money. Why, why do we constantly get screwed over mm. and told it's a good deal? Mm. And we're doing you a favor. Don't mention the reptiles. It's not just the stock markets that Bitcoin seems to be dominating either, though, is it? Commodities are also behind. Um, so Invesco's DB Commodity Index Tracking Fund has been uh, growing about 10% this year. But, yeah, still nowhere near Bitcoin. And even gold. Gold is down, I think, 1% in 2019. So, yeah, that's interesting little bit on the price. Not that we really talk about the price. It just keeps in perspective, doesn't it? Because... I guess last what eighteen months we've been saying how bad it's been. Mm. Like, I don't think we've particularly been saying that, but a lot of people mm. have been saying that it hasn't been that great. But when you match it up against the performance of many other funds and industries and commodities, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Speaking of funds and shares and speculation, there's some speculation around that Nasdaq, the Nasdaq. Maybe about to introduce Bitcoin. So Cryptopolist, who's a quantitative analyst at strongmarket.com, he went viral after tweeting that he was able to purchase one Bitcoin through TD Ameritrade, which is a broker that offers an electronic trading platform that can be connected to the NASDAQ. So he actually showed how NASDAQ began offering the Bitcoin to USD pair for trades on the April the 10th. So he put a tweet out, got pretty excited about that. Other assets soon to follow, he said. And he bought one Bitcoin through his account. However, it was later confirmed that the trade was made using the paper trading platform and not the real one. Right. So paper trading is where you have a demo account, essentially. It's almost like a beta test. It's sort of like, yeah, I think it is like a demo account, like a virtual account. However, from the update, it said peers they're testing only using their paper trading platform. So support said they couldn't speak about it. Something is going on because they obviously built that in. Mm. But, um, yeah, weird. Mm. It's just kind of a part of the whole trend of Bitcoin gradually becoming more and more institutionalized, isn't it? Like more and more acceptable mm. in this. It's no longer the rogue monetary thing that it was five years ago. It's a bit more serious. Yeah. A little less clowns in cars. And I guess as more young people come into the trading world as well who are prepared to just accept this kind of stuff, mm. that's mm. probably helping too. Mm. Yeah. Charlie Lee spotted in his TD Ameritrade account, which he must be bawling because he sold all his Litecoin at the peak. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of a mystery, but interesting bit of speculation. So the uh, French financial giant Société Générale, they've issued a $112 million bond on Ethereum. This $112 million worth of bonds is in the form of security tokens on the public Ethereum blockchain. So it's not a private blockchain, it's it's the public Ethereum blockchain. Wow. So yeah, their subsidiary used the OFH token to represent 100 million euros of covered bonds. So it's a type of security that's backed by specific assets but remains on the issuer's balance sheet. Yeah, according to a report published on Tuesday by Moody's Investor Service, Society Generale was the sole investor meaning the firm issued securities to itself, no other buyers were involved. So it was a pilot that was designed by their blockchain subsidiary, Forge, uh, Forge. which is one of their 60 internal startups launched via their fantastic innovation program. PwC, the uh, big four professional services firm, they advised on the project, on the technology, and the French law firm Gide Laureate de Noël was a legal advisor. So it looks like they're getting ready to maybe move outside the internal and start offering this stuff to the wider market as tokens, which does fit in with the trend we're seeing towards 
people looking at issuing actual security tokens backed by smart contracts, which enforce their own terms, hmm. which is awesome. I mean, that's, that's a huge. Bank we've been well. talking about this for a long time, and yeah, now we've got a bank that are actually doing this stuff. Next bit of news: Liberland, the Free Republic of Liberland, which is a, essentially a sovereign state located between Croatia and Serbia. They've initiated a decentralized autonomous government on the EOSIO platform. So they're looking to build this open source government and that will maximize freedom of its citizens. So it's a sovereign state located between Croatia and Serbia. And with its core elements of direct democracy, uh, Liberland is a constitutional republic, which has been gaining quite a lot of attention since it proclaimed itself there in 2015. So they're building a decentralized autonomous government or DAG, and the concept is to combine the best elements of a republic, democracy, meritocracy, and a decentralized autonomous organization. And they said that after heavy research on various blockchain platforms, it was decided for a new and personalized chain to be built based on the EOSIO software. So the Liberland president, Vit Jedlik, That's a crazy name. Is that Polish? Looks Polish. He explained the decision. He said, we've chosen EOSIO because it's top-rated technology and it provides a lot of the features necessary to run country management on our blockchain. For example, it will allow us to have our national assembly, judiciary, and even company registrations in one integrated system that can evolve over time. Can we register the FOMO show in Liberland? We probably can. I think we should do that. That would be great. Liberland's awesome. And look, the thing is too, it's not really a big surprise because when EOSIO was being built back in the day, and I mean, it's still being built now, one of their main goals was to be able to allow people to do something like this. They talked about people being able to spin up jurisdictions and the software itself has a constitution built into it. And that's Mm. the, the way that everything is run. And there are people that are approved to do certain things on chain by the voters and that can be quite fluid. And so all the framework is really there. I mean, EOS itself is really a decentralized autonomous organization the Mm, way it runs and it all runs on chain. And so it it makes a lot of sense that Lieberland will look at this and say, well, they're doing something quite similar. It's like choosing a game engine in a way. Mm. You know, you look at people who are wanting to develop games and they generally sit down and they say, okay, well, what do all these engines do? What do they do well? What don't they do well? And who has done something similar to us? And then generally it's the who has done something similar to us that will push them over the line because they'll be like, we can just rebase a whole bunch of the stuff that's already been done with that project over there on ours. So it makes sense. And it's just really cool to see like Liberland in general is if you have the time is something really interesting to research because they are really trying to build almost like a libertarian paradise, I guess you'd say. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Here's a bit of positive news for you. The Indian government is mulling a blanket ban on cryptocurrencies. In kind of as a counterpoint to the intro to the show, which we had at the start, which is basically saying, you know, Bitcoin is a public resource, public network, allows people to access money without banks, without private companies. The government of India are going the other way and they're drafting a bill to completely ban cryptocurrencies and regulate official digital currencies. So, yeah, various government departments, including the Department of Economic Affairs, the Central Board of Direct Taxes, the Central Board of Indirect Taxes and Customs, and the Investor Education and Protection Fund Authority, have reportedly agreed to completely ban the sale, purchase, and issuance of all types of cryptocurrency. Although that's sort of saying we ban hereby the operation of maths. Mm. But but they can try. Yeah, and well, depending on the feedback from those ministries, an exhaustive law will be proposed to the next government that comes to power after the May general elections. 
And offenders could be prosecuted under the Money Laundering Act, which is quite similar to most of the other money laundering acts around the world. And so it could be quite serious. And this isn't just issuing. This is even for people that are holding virtual currencies, they could be captured under this new law the way that they're framing it. So they could make it completely illegal to deal with any money that is not owned and controlled by big private banks. And it does kind of go in with a trend that's been happening with the Indian government. They recently quite controversially banned a couple of notes, different cash notes. I think they were the larger ones too. They took them out of circulation at the time. That was, I think there was some good and some bad news with that. Yeah. Because I remember I was speaking to somebody at the time who was saying it was actually quite a good deal because that's where a lot of the counterfeit notes were. Yeah, right. But at the other time, there were people who were on their way to work and stuff and got completely chopped out or been given some notes and said, go to this other town and cash your paycheck in and then they get to the other town, the coin, the money no longer exists. Yeah. So kind of shady. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Who knows how successful it's going to be. I think it's just a shame. I mean, India does have a very large lower socioeconomic class and they're not that well banked. There isn't that much access to good, healthy monetary systems. And things like cryptocurrency were a way for people to be able to trade with each other quite safely without having to worry about going through a lot of these intermediaries. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a shame, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Mm. Mm. Next up, the second Belt and Road Forum in Beijing was attended by world leaders from around the world. And according to China's CCTV news outlet, uh, world leaders were hailing the project. So what is this Belt and Road Initiative? Yeah, so the Belt and Road Initiative is a reference to the Silk Road economic belt and the 21st century maritime Silk Road. And it's essentially come from the whole concept of the old Silk Road way back in the day that China used to run from China out into Europe. Right. And that was the road through which a lot of trade was done. I think there was a big opioid trade on on the Silk Road at that time as well. And there are a number of other goods and services that went along this road. It was a really big thing back in the day. And it was how the Chinese governments and the people back in that day used to sell a lot of their wares and there was a lot of cultural exchanges and all sorts of things. So like it was a big trade route. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so this newer one goes across, I think it's 20-something countries or maybe 40-something countries. Mm. It must be about 40-odd countries. Um, So there's an overland route which sort of goes, there's a few different routes that it can take. It means that if one route gets cut off, there'll still be a number of other routes available. So there's an overland route that sort of goes through Kazakhstan and, um, and upwards through Russia and all that sort of thing. And it goes to all different parts of Europe. Then you've got a maritime route as well, which sort of goes around Southeast Asia, bottom of India, up at the, to the bottom of Pakistan, Iran, all the way around to Kenya. Yeah, through the Suez Canal and then over into the Mediterranean. Yeah. And it is really interesting to research. Like if you look, I've actually got like a feed on my Feedly just for the Silk Road. And there's all sorts of interesting news that comes up because China has been very aggressively building this thing. And you can look at, for example, Kazakhstan, these massive land ports they've built to handle all the freight coming in from China and kind of transfer it onto other train lines and deal with Mm -hmm. it all. These huge land ports that have just been built in the middle of nowhere, financed by China, similar kind of thing. I think I saw recently, yeah, Colombo's there on the map. Sri Lanka got a massive loan from China to build their completely retrofit their port ready for this new Silk Road. And that's how they've been doing a lot of it. It's not just China saying, hey, We'll come and build this for you. They're saying, you build it, we'll lend you the money 
and you can then be a part of this Silk Road. So it's almost more beneficial for these people to be participating in the Silk Road because there's going to be so much trade mm. flowing through it. And that's going to change the countries because, I mean, you see that touches, yeah, Colombo and Sri Lanka. Mm. But that's going to absolutely change what goes in and out of that country. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, look, it's a part of China kind of emerging onto the geopolitical stage even more, mm. you know. You could trace a lot of these, say you take the US, for example, you could build almost like a Belt and Road map of all the different trade routes that come out of the US or the UK is the same. A lot of this infrastructure already exists for them, mm. but uh, China doesn't really have that to the same extent. They've just been using a lot of the companies that already do it. So they're making a big, big, big push and uh, there's serious amounts of money being thrown yeah. at this. Yeah, because, I mean, you put a car, like a train load of stuff on it, I don't know, at the port of Dalian in China or something, you could take that the whole way via train to whether it's Spain, you could take it to Germany, you could take it to... What was that Norway, Sweden, Finland? Uh, Finland? Yep. You could take it directly to Moscow. It takes a couple of weeks. Fantastic. Yeah. Like that's really powerful. Yeah, these are super high-speed trains mm. and they're developing the whole thing just to be as quick as it possibly can. Mm. Interestingly, so it's going to be worth watching rail projects in – I'm interested because the two points in Africa that the maritime route hits, Kenya and uh, Djibouti, those two countries are really worth watching. I mean Kenya has an incredible economy. Yeah. And just watching what's going to happen as far as – because that's goods are going to get here, so then you're going to need to get that infrastructure, mm. as we talk about, to get it to other places within Africa. Yeah. Because China aren't just going to stop there. Yeah. So it would be really interesting to see what train services already operate. That would be a really cool yeah. episode, just like train lines in Africa, yeah. where they go. Well, well I mean, watching investment into Africa and South America mm. so is just mm-hmm. really interesting, watching a lot of what's going on in there and who's trying to lay claim and mm. have influence, mm. particularly in Africa because mm. Africa is so wide open. Absolutely. Yeah, and China's a big player. And following on from this China stuff and railway projects and all this, Iran, Iraq and Syria, interestingly, are considering a transnational railway project. Yeah, so Iraq says negotiations are underway with Iran and Syria to develop a transnational railway line linking the three companies. And the Iraqi Public Railways Company chief said a summit will be held between the countries to further discuss the matter. And the comments came a week after the Iranian first vice president spoke of an initiative to link the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean. And I mean, especially when it comes to rebuilding Syria and Iraq, transnational railway project could be a pretty good way of moving stuff from country to country. Mm. So bit by bit, augmented reality and virtual reality are increasingly becoming not just the realm of videos we watch online, but they're actually entering reality. Yeah, so I mean from immersive entertainment to interactive retail stuff like virtual makeup to complex factory repairs with smart glasses, augmented reality and, yeah, VR are making a pretty big impact. And it seems a consumer business interest in augmented reality and virtual reality has been booming for several years now. We've covered a number of things on the show uh, in the recent months, and they continue to really cross over into the realm of entertainment. And we've really seen that this year. There's been a number of TV shows, movies, games. They've all been running virtual reality experiences in various places and theme parks. And, and these headsets continue to come down in price as well. Beat Saber is one of these big games that mm. a lot of people have been playing and getting into recently, which is a VR game. Mm. Use your hands to put lightsabers around on the screen. Mm. 
so yeah, it's seeming like it's entering more and more into these other areas, mm. not just the conceptual areas. Remember, we talked the other episode about Walmart bringing in seventeen thousand of those Oculus Go headsets to train employees. Google launched a web tool called Tour Creator that lets you create VR tours using three hundred and sixty degree photos and street view imagery. Yeah, um, Macy's and IKEA—they're both now letting customers visualize couches, chairs tables in their own homes right. so they're actually able to walk around and hold their phone up and see what it might look like mm, in mm. their home so i mean in this piece which is from one of those cio magazines it actually said that chief information officers should keep an eye on three areas in order to make this all happen one is data storage and the next one's connectivity and latency because you're gonna have to be pretty quick if people are moving around and stuff and the third one is device management so if you're a business like walmart for example they got to make sure that seventeen thousand headsets have the latest software mm. have the latest training stuff so it's an interesting to see what the technology manager's perspective is they have to look after all this stuff but yeah because uh, yeah. that's something you don't really think about mm. you know but i guess it, it is so relevant for cios because that's the kind of stuff that's going to drive all this technology in the background mm. Connectivity and latency is a big one. If things are too slow or if they don't connect in properly, you're going to have issues. I mean, one of the biggest parts is with VR particularly, people are getting sick because of the latency and because of some of the mm. issues with how these things present themselves to the people using the VR goggles. And that's that's a massive thing, you know. I mean, particularly if you're going to have it in a public place. And following on from that, Sony have revealed the PS5, which is a huge upgrade to the PlayStation 4 hardware. The system's going to use an eight-core CPU based on AMD's Ryzen architecture, while the graphics card will be based on the AMD Radeon Navi line. So that will support ray tracing, which means more realistic lighting effects to games that isn't possible on current consoles. So we're going to see a massive leap mm. with future consoles, and that means things are going to look really good on consoles. So they're going to actually overtake PCs for a small amount of time, and as far as what the average console gamer will get access to. Yeah. Um, so it will also support 8K resolution uh, if you have a TV powerful enough to handle it. Yeah, it's really cool just to see they're using AMD's hardware in both things. It's great. It shows yeah. how far they've come, particularly with Risen. I mean, Risen, if you're buying a CPU now, the Risens are just dollar for dollar far more competitive than the mm, Intel CPUs mm, at the mm. moment. So yeah, the PS5 will be backwards compatible with PS4 games and their VR games as well. And current VR headsets will work with the system. So they're going for compatibility as much mm, as they possibly mm, can and not just saying you've just got to use our VR headset and no one else's. And they've also got new 3D audio technology included in the CPU. That would be good for VR especially, wouldn't oh, it? Yeah. Huge for VR. A lot of these new VR headsets are coming out with some really – uh, advanced speaker technology in their in their headphones. Another interesting thing is they're going to be ditching the internal hard drive of the PS4 in favor of a specialized SSD, which they say will offer raw bandwidth, which is higher than any SSD available for PC. So SSDs, if you weren't aware, so you've got regular hard drives, so that's sort of like a little magnetic, what do you call it, disc? Yeah. You're basically moving a, a handle around a disc which has to read and it's quite slow mm. ssds are solid state drives it basically involves switches isn't it yeah so it, things work there are no moving parts like with hard drives i feel like it's like a hundred times faster it's, but it's a lot faster. way faster yeah. so that means if you're loading it for playstation users that means you're going to start loading a game and it's going to be there yeah because you've got such high transfer speeds it, it means you're going to it's going to take less time to load a game yeah if you've ever swapped from hard drive to an SSD in your computer, you know 
It's just night and day. The old hard drives, they used to have to spin up. And then you'd wait for them to spin up yeah. and they had to actually find the data that they wanted. You'd hear your computer clicking and whirring as it yeah. sort of starts loading it up. Yeah, whereas with the SSD, every single bit of data has a very specific point on the card and generally it will just go straight there, you know, oh. exactly where that data is and away it goes. That's really goes cool. There. It's a lot more similar to RAM. Like right, it's, it's yeah, come, yeah. Come a lot closer to what they do with RAM yes. and yeah. They're going to have a specialized SSD, which they claim is going to be way faster than what's in current PlayStations. Mm. So you're going to be slashing load times from, you know, 15, 20 seconds to less than two seconds. Yeah. yeah. Which is good. Yeah. So we don't really expect to hear any additional details, you know, like the price and the launch titles and all that stuff. But I guess it's it's coming to that time where the next round of releases coming out so there are a few updates that have come from elon musk um the first one is that the brain computer interface update is coming soon so he's going to give us some kind of announcement or something yeah so it's in response to a question asking for an update on Neuralink, which is a neurotechnology startup amongst all the other things elon musk does he founded in 2016 and he said it would be a direct cortical interface which would allow humans to reach higher levels of cognition and give humans a better shot at competing with artificial intelligence. So it's unclear whether their main objective is to do just that or to connect human brains to computers for consumer applications. Mm. But yeah, Bloomberg recently reported on a still unpublished academic paper, which is by five authors who've been employed by or associated with Neuralink. The paper describes a sewing machine, quote-unquote, for the brain in the form of a needle-like device that's inserted into a rat's skull to implant a bendable polymer electrode in the brain that would read the brain's electrical signals. Wow. I'm sure Elon's probably already augmented himself and <laughs> he is, in fact, not real. That is, uh, that, is, that is why he's able to do everything he does. One of the many theories. Yeah, but look, <laughs> it, it brings up so many questions. I mean, we, we really don't have time to cover it on the podcast today, but there's a lot of questions around you know what it really means to be human and uh and all the different social impacts that something like this would have but um it's very interesting for us to watch i don't think i'll ever be getting one myself but uh you know, we can look on as interested third parties yeah, yeah yeah sort of like when everyone else had pokemon at school and my mum didn't let me have it <laughs> this is this is my this is this yeah, is our another of those i'm used to it <laughs> Hey, but there's a Pokemon live Looks really cool and now. fun. Have you seen the trailer for the Pokemon Yes, live? I have. I've been told we need to go and see it. I don't know. I Just because I wasn't allowed it as a kid, I then sort of grew not to really care. Oh. But then the sad thing is, because I really wanted it at the time, but yeah. then I never had it. I got so excited. When saw this started. trailer and I was just like, it's oh, just yeah. Pokemon. Are you oh, like, ah. I got so excited. Really? Oh, that's man. Yeah, that's oh, what. I got so excited. So live action, which is. Yeah, pretty sweet. And this was cool. So Elon Musk, well, Tesla released a video which was called Full Self-Driving. And it is just literally a footage of one of these Teslas with someone sitting in the driver's seat with their hands just on their knees. And the camera is just behind their shoulder and it just points out the front of the car as the car makes its own little journey out to the Tesla car park on this little route, taking a motorway, turning on, switching lanes, getting around moving around, turning off, stopping at a stop sign, and then all this journey back to the Tesla office. So check out the link. Um, that is also exciting. Mm, it is. It's really cool. Like if you've never seen this tech in action before, just give it a watch. It will really, yeah, it might even change your mind about the tech itself because I was so, so I was kept expecting the guy to put his hands on the wheels in some of the trickier parts. 
And the car just kept on going, mm. moving mm. between traffic, different lanes. It was unreal. Mate, it's very exciting. And another one following on from this, so Tesla. So in a, I think it was a presentation to investors, Elon Musk said that robo-taxis are coming to the US roads next year and to other markets, well, some markets next year. So part of that promise is a new microchip for self-driving vehicles, which he unveiled during a webcast presentation uh, made by Samsung Electronics in Texas. The chip now in all vehicles is hoping to give them an edge of arrivals and yep, sure, it's massive investment in autonomous driving. So he described that as basically their entire expense structure, this autonomous driving stuff, which mm. is kind of crazy. Yeah, because it really is that all their IP culminated into one little chip. Yeah. Mm. My observation from that is that every time you hear people starting to say, oh, Elon Musk is out of tricks, Tesla are, are running short, they're, they're on a downward spiral, the, the unicorn run can't continue, he just comes out with something completely new. Just keeps upping it. Yeah. Like who could have thought that their next play would have been into the robo-taxi market this soon? They're not messing about. So, yeah, 30 grand profit a year for your car. That's not bad. I could actually, I would actually just take a loan and buy a Tesla. Well, I mean, and you could just use it when you need to use it too. That's that seemed to be what he said. You basically use your car when you need it, and then the moment you arrive home, you don't need it anymore. You send it out on its on its robo taxi mission. Well, my main one would be paying for parking at work. That's the main reason mm. that prevents me from going to work. Yeah. But this way. Just drive to work, get out, car continues the journey and goes off and has a nice little day, someone vomits in the back, <laughs> then it just picks me up from work mm. and then, um, yeah. I guess there'll probably be businesses that emerge where you can schedule them to stop at some place either once every three hours or if someone puts in their app that they vomited in the car, pull into a, a cleaning place and they'll clean it out really quick, mm. bill you in the Tesla app, the way that car goes mm. again. You know? It'd be an interesting little service for it. Mm. They're going to have to work out some of those little intricacies. Yeah. And- yeah, but you can see it being like the same way that people who got in early on Airbnb mm. very quickly built up 60 houses that they were renting mm. off people that owned them and were char- you know, making really good money from it. Because if you get three Teslas after a year and two months, mm. you're making 90 grand a year just yep. off your cars. Yeah. So I'm going to sell everything I own. <laughs> <laughs> so one other bit of Tesla, Elon Musk related news, a SpaceX astronaut vehicle has exploded during an engine test. So yeah, this is a vehicle designed to carry astronauts to the International Space Station. It was destroyed during an engine test on April the 20th. That means there's probably going to be some more delays to NASA's $6.5 billion commercial crew program, which has Boeing and SpaceX racing to return human space flight to the United States because currently it all goes from Kazakh, sort of Russian-controlled Kazakh uh, mm. spaceport, yes. They're still, I think they were assessing the results last we saw, but I believe that this was this same Dragon spacecraft was used a few months ago in a previous test, maybe. Mm. Yeah, and it was, it was among the final milestones that would allow the company to fly a crewed mission perhaps as soon as this summer. Mm. So it's really, really unfortunate timing for mm. them where they are racing against Boeing 
mm. who've had no end of problems of their on their end. So yeah, yeah. And last piece of news: the FCC have approved SpaceX's plans to fly internet beaming satellites in a lower orbit than previously requested. Yeah, this is really cool. So FCC has approved them to fly a huge number of internet beaming satellites at a lot lower orbit, and they sent that request in November. And it's a part of their satellite internet constellation known as Starlink. And under the original agreement with the commission, they had permission to launch around about 4,500 satellites into orbits that range between 1,100 and 1,300 kilometers up. But they decided that they wanted to fly about 1,500 of them in different orbits thanks to what they learned from the tests. And they wanted to fly them as low as 550 kilometers up. Wow. So they argue that by having satellites at only 550 kilometers, they actually have way lower latency, which cuts down transmission times to just 15 milliseconds. Wow. And that lower orbit also means that they can actually get the same coverage with 16 fewer satellites, but also it would cut down on space debris because if it's at 550 kilometers up, then satellites are more affected by the atmosphere and are pulled out of orbit much more quickly. Than, so if any of them fail and become inoperable, they would just fall out of orbit and burn up in the atmosphere. Mm. Um, yeah. So we may soon have some really quick satellite internet coming. Yeah. See how it goes. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Uh, why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can find it at FOMO.show slash Telegram. And thank you to all of the bots who've joined our chat over the last two weeks. Yeah, uh, Telegram has been so popular. Yeah. Just, Unfortunately, we've been banning them all. But Yeah, none of them are real, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This week in our privacy and security segment, uh, we wanted to touch on a great two-factor authentication tool which we've been using called Authy. Authy, what's that all about? So Authy is essentially like Google Authenticator. So if you've ever used Google Authenticator, it's a little app you can install on your phone where if you have two-factor authentication with a website, you will scan a two-factor authentication code, like a QR code, you scan it into your phone, and then you've got a six-digit code that comes up. And so what that means is it's your second factor. So if you go to log into your password manager or you go to log into Coinbase or a number of other different services, you'll put your password in and then it'll pop up saying, okay, we've got your password, so you're halfway there. We want your two-factor authentication code as well. So it's a double step of securing your account. Somebody could have your password, but without your two-factor, they couldn't get in. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of statistics behind this. There's, it's quite well known now in the security sector that adding a second factor, so another factor authentication, significantly increases the chances that you will not be hacked. It's not even um, a linear graph. It's a lot, lot harder for someone to hack you if there's a second factor because they generally have to have control of another device. Mm. And you'd have to be very highly motivated to want to get that two-factor. Yep. So what makes Authy better than Google's Authenticator or Microsoft's Authenticator app? Mm. Yeah, so the issue with Google and Microsoft's Authenticator app and another a number of the other apps out there is that they remember your second factor on the device that you scan the code on, mm. but there's no like unified account. So if you were, say, to lose your phone, mm. you would also lose your second factor mm. and it can be quite yeah. hard and in some cases impossible to restore that second factor if you lose it, a lot of sites will let you go through a convoluted way of getting a new second factor. You know, you fall on your sword and say, hey, I lost my phone. 
you answer a number of questions and they give it to you. Some other cryptos, particularly decentralized crypto apps, there's just no way to get it back if you lose it. Uh, you wow. have to have it to get a new second factor. So you got to be really careful with using a second factor as well. And that's the issue with Google Authenticator and Microsoft Authenticator is that if you lose a device it's on, it's gone. So the key feature is that I can have this on multiple devices and I can back up my two-factor authentication to elsewhere? Yes, essentially. So if I've got my Authy app here on my phone, and I'll show it to Joe here in the studio so he can verify that I've got my Authy app on my phone. So this is my Authy here. But now if you push that button there and type in Authy, and click on that. Ah, you so you have it on your desktop as well. It's on my, it's on my so desktop. So you can well. have your two-factor authentication on multiple devices. So you can password protect it. You can back it up so you don't. This is brilliant because when I bought a new phone, I realized that I needed to put set up my Google Authenticator on there. And I was thinking, oh, maybe if I just log into my Google account, I'll get access to those. I didn't. Mm. I had to log into all six of whatever of those services mm and regenerate the authentication code. Yeah, and we get so used to this idea that Google, Microsoft, all those guys, if you do something on one of their services, it's associated with mm. your account. And I thought I was safe until someone said, oh, you realize that if you lose your phone, they all go with your phone. So that's when I started looking at alternate authentication. It's been on my list of things to do for a while, and I've only recently installed Authy. It's free to install. They do have cool. some premium features, but the feature that lets you put the authenticator stuff on uh, works out of the box and it works for all Google links. So anything that supports Google Authenticator will support Authy. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah, if you want to level up your two-factor authentication experience, check out Authy. You can find it at Authy, A-U-T-H-Y dot com. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Know someone who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on a telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can also find us at YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO.